Welcome to the Republican professor this morning for me in California, but on the East Coast, where our guest is joining us, it's afternoon. We have the most special guest in the entire universe, Miss John, Mrs. Jonalyn Fincher. Thanks for being here, Jonalyn. I'm glad to be here with you, Lucas. I'm glad you're here too. Jonalyn, uh, I've known you for quite a long time, I think. You sat in front of me in J.P. Moreland's Philosophy of Mind. Um, I think that's where I first saw you. I don't, uh, I don't remember. I didn't realize that. That would not surprise me at all. I, it didn't seem like you knew I existed. I'm so but sorry. that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> I, I had a hard enough time just trying to keep up with what JP was doing. That's that's probably where I, my mind was too. And yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Ooh, you hear that? That's our Polar Express that goes right through our backyard here. And oh, is that right? I'm sure. Yeah. I call oh, okay. our crossroads. So if you hear that again, that's what you've got going on. That I'm so glad you told me because I thought it might have been somebody in the bathroom. Oh gosh. And I was about to ask, what in the world did you guys have for? <laughs> dinner last night oh my word <laughs> lucas you're so memorable I'm, I'm embarrassed that i forgot you was dale in that class with us mm, well you definitely were not married to dale at that time i don't think i think that would have been in 2003 yes but early 2003 january um, 5th. now i don't think i knew dale until later um, I actually don't think I knew Dale until he was married to you, but okay. So for everybody who doesn't know anything about what we're talking about, <laughs> we're talking about Biola university. This is the early two thousands, um, in California. It's a Christian school in California. This is a graduate program in philosophy. And so basically we're a bunch of nerds, um, we had a class called philosophy of mind, which is the one I'm referencing. And that's the one I first met John Allen. And I think we probably exchanged uh, some kind of greeting at some point in the, in the class, but I didn't really get to know you until later. Well, we knew each other. Uh, gosh, we've known each other for almost 20 years and you uh, you've been through some professional iterations during that time. Um, you were, probably one of the more stylish philosophy people that I remember. Um, <laughs> definitely not what your husband Dale would call a fill bot, um, which is a compliment in case anybody didn't know, didn't pick that up. A fill bot is kind of like a robot that only talks philosophy. And I forgot that term. He used it so much. <laughs> analytic philosophy is a, is a specific kind of philosophy where, you know, if P then Q and, you know, necessarily this and possibly that and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, um, philosophy is great training. I don't mean to disparage it. We had JP on this podcast, actually. So we're, the professor we're talking about was on. Uh, he's awesome. But um, we had a great time. And Jonalyn uh, is the, the latest iteration of her professional life is as an artist. And what I love about your journey as an artist is that I, I think I, ha I have a book that you gave me 
10 years ago, I think. And you, you inscribed it, which is why I know how, when it, when you gave it to me, because you're one of those kind of people that will write handwritten cards with, with, um, uh, artistic. Well, to me, it feels like artistic handwriting calligraphy kind of, I'm not sure if that's your real handwriting or if you meant to do that or, but I, and I think you date it too. I'm hoping you did, because I think it was 2012. You gave me that book. Yeah, I always date the inscriptions. So I'd be surprised okay. if it wasn't a date. I didn't bring it out. I should have it's in my office. I, I I had it out, but I did I forgot right. to bring it over here. But but yeah, it's it's um it's called the artist's way. And um now I only bring that book up because it seems to me that that was around the time that you started thinking about becoming an artist. I don't know if that's true or not, but it seems like you were already well on your journey. So you, you are now a painter and you share your stuff on social media. And I'm constantly, I mean, I've been amazed for years. It's been years that I've been amazed. So that's how long you've been. At least I've thought you were good. Now, I don't know if I'm the best judge, but I think I'm pretty good judge, but I've just been amazed at how you, it seemed to me that this girl that was sat in front of me in philosophy of mind, <laughs> you know, uh, decided one day I'm going to become a painter. <laughs> now, I don't mean to make you sound robotic, but it was almost no. like you were just having your, your, your biscuits and your tea or whatever you're having your espresso and you were looking, I don't know, you're looking around and you're like, I want to paint that. Uh, this reminds me of that scene in Legally Blonde where they like kind of are teasing Reese Witherspoon's character for, for I don't know how many of your listeners even watch Legally Blonde. So hopefully this isn't falling on deaf ears. You're dating but yourself. Like, that's, that's, a, that's considered an old movie now. No, it is an old movie. But well, my students wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Well, that's okay. In this scene, she's blonde and she's also brilliant, but she's kind of an airhead too. And her professor looks at her and says, I think you just woke up one day and decided I'm going to become a lawyer. And it's reminding me of what you're saying, but the, the road to painting was not that easy at all, Lucas, not at all. Yeah, I bet. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. So what was it like? What do you remember the moment that you thought you wanted to become a painter? Well, you know, that's so interesting um, to look at. It's so much clearer in retrospect. Um, so when I got pregnant for the first time, we miscarried the baby. And that was really the beginning of us opening ourselves up to the possibility of starting a, a family because we had been married for 10 years and traveled and spoke and wrote books together, my husband and I. And so a baby was very interruptive to us. You know, we, 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 we are philosophy training and argument, argumenting, you know, arguing skills evaluated if we should even have a child. We decided to um, have, and we had Finn, my oldest. Oh shoot, I'm not supposed to say his name. Okay, I won't say my second son's name. His name's already out there, but <laughs> trying not to say their names as much in public. Um, so our oldest um, really changed me. Even at the very beginning, he was really colicky and difficult. He didn't sleep very well, but something happened. It was like a little switch got turned on and I started to paint. 
which is strange because you're sleep deprived and you're crabby and you're trying to figure out how you're going to do all this. We were at the time living in this 120 square foot cabin in the Rocky Mountains. It was three, three dogs, one cat, me and Dale and our sweet little oldest son <laughs> who never slept. <laughs> and uh, I started to paint and it wasn't like all of a sudden that's all I wanted to do. I painted, I think once a week was my special time to start painting. And it wasn't very good. Um, I didn't share it, certainly. I didn't share it publicly. And it was always watercolor. There was no doubt in my mind it should be oil or, or pastel or acrylic. Well, now, hold on a sec. I, I want, that's interesting detail. Yeah. How did you know it should be watercolor? Well, oh. I didn't know. I didn't know why. I just did it because that was, I had watercolors. I had the paper. So one of the biggest hurdles in doing any art is getting supplies and investing. That usually stops a lot of people. Where do I go? What do I get? You know, usually need a guide, but I had that already. So I had done watercolor painting um, just as like a, an amateur. I had minored in art for the first year at University of Virginia. I had always taken art classes in high school. I remember distinctly my first watercolor class around age 10 when I was just delighted at the sunset. It was atrocious, but to me, it was wonderful, this power paint had. But um, I know now that one of the reasons watercolor was calling my name was because I lost my mother-in-law my second year of marriage. So this would be Dale's mom. To, to breast cancer. And in her last years, like many women in retirement, she took up watercolor. And she would come visit us and she would paint the flowers in my garden or the flowers my grandma would bring to her. And she would say things like, I can't get this just right. And she would be frustrated with the medium. Most people don't know this, but watercolor is the most difficult medium. Much that's what I was, that's what I knew that. That's interesting. Did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So a lot of people don't realize that they think it looks easy and fun. Oh, man. I have never thought that looked easy. If, if anybody thinks that watercolor looks easy and that I, they're an idiot because well, I've tried it and it's a disaster. Well, see, like, that's the thing. You have to try it to know. Once you try it, you know, it is a wily medium and it takes as much mental intensity and planning as a chess match. You have to paint it backwards. Everything that is light or white, you have to leave and paint around it. And if you mess that up, you start over. So it's, it, it um, you know, painting well really uh, was Lois, my mother-in-law. She never, she never really painted as well as she wanted and then the cancer got her and we lost her. And so I know now, in fact, I'm looking across my art studio here and I have a painting of hers of the iris that my grandma brought to her and I framed it it's on my wall right over there. And then um, I did a series of flowers and I tried to paint an iris and I realized as I was painting it, I'm painting this for my mother-in-law. And, um, you know, I'm, I feel like I've, I've have her mantle on me now and I'm picking up what she couldn't finish and it's just it's so clear and so clear in many ways you know my husband is kind of orphaned from his late 20s on and so her influence in our life has been very huge noticing the hold she left but I know that's part of the reason watercolor has called me I mean I love the medium too I love the medium wow 
it's I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say on that one because it sounds <laughs> it's heavy. It's hard. Yeah. But it's meaningful. That's one of the ways you grieve. You integrate the people you've lost and what good they offer you. I mean, she wasn't perfect by all means. She was a terrible monologuer. And sometimes we just feel like throwing her out the window. <laughs> um, so she wasn't like this angelic person, but she had so much good sense and so much faithfulness. Love and faithfulness can overcome a multitude of sin. <laughs> And she was that. She was so faithful, such a good mom to my husband. And that's part of the reason I have such a stellar husband is because of this woman. So to be able to honor her like this is a real privilege. Oh, no. I, I would have never guessed that uh, that was the impetus behind watercolor. Mm -hmm. hmm. Now, what, how long was it well, first of all, can I ask you really quick, how is it that you had the supplies again? You had the supplies? Yes. Because most people don't just have, when they're trying, if they, if most people probably are thinking, eh, I want to be an artist. What should I, which supplies do I have around? Oh, I have the watercolor. I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have that, those kind of supplies. Okay. So how did you have that? It's very important to explain the shoulders I was standing on. I didn't do this in a vacuum. My mother um, is mostly Mexican, Spanish and French. She is a calligraphy artist. So from a young age, I'd watch her do art and she also taught me how to watercolor. She's not particularly strong at it, but she has the basics. Um, growing up, my grandparents, my Mexican grandparents really helped raise me especially in the early years. And I knew that my great-grandmother was an oil painter. I still have her oil box. It's right behind the computer. <laughs> and she is Spanish from Spain and she painted oils. And I've seen her work there on my grandparents' walls. So I have art in my family tree. And I had a mother who was an artist, is an artist. And so growing up, I was always given different art supplies because I showed a um, you know, an aptitude for it. And I was encouraged to, to do it. I think they sent me to one or two classes over my whole childhood. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, I'm grateful for those two. And they, that's why I had a little travel set of watercolors and the watercolor paper. Those were all gifts from my, my parents. And I would, I would often paint on vacation. I would, it was like the only time I felt permission. Painting is very frivolous in the world of Christianity and in the real working world where you're like, come on, you can paint, but that's a hobby. It's not going to make you any money. What are you thinking? You know, so you, as a practical young woman who was very serious about my commitment to God and trying to make a difference in this world, I would never have picked up art or watercolor unless all the other work was done. And that was only on vacation time. So I would paint maybe, I don't know, two tiny paintings a year. I mean, I still have them. They're really bad, but I still tried. And <laughs> it's such a wonderful thing to be able to call your work bad. I still paint bad paintings, ugly, awful paintings. They're just worthy to rip up. And that's part of what it means to be an artist is to paint terrible things and beautiful things and to know when they're terrible and when they're beautiful. Can I go back to those classes that you took? Where did you take those? Uh, it was a little community offered class in Whittier, California. It was just a small little class. Um, was it a, on a college campus or where no, was it? Elementary school. I mean, I was only 10. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, okay. I didn't know you were that young. Okay. Yeah, my first watercraft class was about 10 or 11. And then the second class, I took a lot of classes in high school. I always opted for the electives of art. Um, so my, my Christian high school and then my secular public high school, I, I took art there. And I, was, I won contests in high school relatively easily that I entered. So I knew I was good. Um, my mom pushed me to enter and win contests as a very, very young girl, but I'll save that for another discussion. That, that's another ball of wax. Um, and then in high school, okay. I went to Pasadena Art Center, which is a very well-known, highly regarded art school in Pasadena, Southern California. And they had a, a high school one week oil painting class. And I went to that and we had live models, I remember. It was really exciting to paint people who were posing for you. They had all their clothes on. So I think they did that. <laughs> it would have been even more interesting if they had it. But uh, they of did. course you had to add that. <laughs> That's the you're first so thing you curious. added, wasn't it? As a 16 year old, you're so curious. He's like, wait, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Is this lady secular? Who is this person? What's going on here? And oh, you, you, you swooped right in there with that. They had all their clothes oh. on. Well, you and know, every I, now half of the people listening to this are like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was like, what are we getting into here with this lady, with this lady, this watercolor no, lady? They should know that between my two watercolor parts of my life, I wrote a book, uh, I wrote a book on female sexuality. So these things are not quite as taboo or scary. What's the name of your book? Ruby Slippers. <laughs> okay, I'll How put that. Book? I'll put a link to that in the. Since you mentioned, okay, yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, cool. Our Pasadena Art Center, huh? In high yeah. school. Yeah, now, you didn't have to qualify, though. I mean, anyone. Could yeah, take it. anybody. They did. So, in other words, they didn't. They didn't see you and and see your painting and then say out. That's right. They didn't know to say out. And then you know they're coming in and they're like, okay, let me see. All right, you can go. That's right. right. In the art world, that's called juried. It was not a juried process to enter. So that was oil? Yes. Um, now, did you get enough experience with oil then that you thought, okay, I'm done with that? No, what I love was, oil. I you, would do, definitely, you still do it? I, I would still do oil painting if I wasn't a mother. Oh, really? Yeah. It's very messy and it, it's much deeper of a commitment financially. It just is takes some more out of you, harder to set up, harder, harder to break down. I did watercolor because I can do it in sometimes 15 minutes. And that's all my boys. They're 12 and almost seven. They're really intellectually aggressive and they, we home educate them. So I have these precious pockets of time. In fact, you should feel so cared about because I am giving up my painting time to talk with you today, Lucas. And it's one of my most precious things, <laughs> but this was worth it to be able to I'm hang honored. out. Yeah, well, I'm, honored. I'm honored. You asked me. What is, uh, what kind of painting time do you, do you put in over the years? Like how, how has that devolved and grown? How, what yeah. is it like now? And what is it, what it start with? And yeah. how did you negotiate that? Well, I have a really fantastic partner and husband. Dale is really supportive. So I used to paint once a week for four hours and I didn't see a lot of progress. It was just more of an outlet. 
and I would just get books at the library, you know, take, sometimes take little like college classes, you know, when, when was that? Like how many years ago was that? How old were you? So yeah, that was like, so when my son was born, so he is 12 now. So it was 12 years ago. That's nice and easy way to date it. Um, and so that went on until my second son was born. <laughs> and then that was, I saw another leveling up in my commitment. I took a amazing watercolor workshop with a man named Andy Evenson. And um, in that class, he helped me see what I was missing. And he said, you have to get your brushes wet every day. You cannot improve. And he said, no one has time to paint. Everyone says, well, I don't have time to paint. He's like, I don't have time to paint. This is my job and I don't have time to paint. You can just get eaten up by all the marketing and all the competing and all the elbowing out and the social media and the blah, blah, blah. There's just so much to destroy this really set apart time to paint. So I took his was challenge. He a professional, was he a professor or was he a professional? No, no, not a, prof not a professor. It's interesting in the art world. You don't usually go to higher education to find the best artists, Lucas. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? <laughs> well, it's different. I'm sure in philosophy. How do you, uh, how do you uh, spell his last name? E V as in Victor. A N S E N. S E N. Okay. So was he, he, he was like a local guru. Guru is not the right word, but just local shaman or yeah shaman we did a lot of incense throwing no he was actually he traveled and gave workshops all over the world actually china oh, okay cool oh. gave workshops there he's internationally known um and I, I really chose him out of the blue from a watercolor magazine a good friend gave me for my birthday and, and you um, met I him just, on per in person or was this online yeah, or yeah, this was before covid regulation so i flew to phoenix and had um an amazing three-day workshop with him and 20 other 25 other women there how and, long ago how long ago was that so that was right after my second son was born so that was six years ago six years ago okay so it was after that i'd say about six years ago i started to paint every day gotcha and that's when and even if it was only 20 minutes that's when i started to really improve and start to realize that watercolor and painting watercolors particularly landscapes it was like if your soul, if your body and soul is like a huge dashboard on a plane, you have all these switches you can flip. It was as if watercolor painting flipped on the majority of the switches. It just turned all my abilities on that had been sort of by the wayside while I was a speaker and a writer. Um, before we get to your, uh, say a little bit more about speaking and writing and how that impacted your journey of art um uh what what is your so you're 12 years ago for six years it was four hours a week once a week yeah that's right and then six years ago you had a major event this other um <clears throat> human okay. being human being comes into your life and uh <laughs> And then you meet this guy, uh, Andy Evenson, who's mm -hmm. uh, not a professor, but he, uh, he, he says, you got to get your, you got to get your brush wet every day. None of this four yeah. hours a week crap. That's right. Once a week. So even if it's only 20 minutes, 
Yes. So I'm doing I'm doing the math here and I'm like, well, if you do 20 minutes every day, that's not that doesn't add up to four hours once a week. Oh, so exactly. there's something. Yeah. yeah, there's something about the everyday thing. Oh, it's huge. I mean, look at everyone says, oh, you could just do this for every day for 10 minutes. And my therapist once told me if I did everything everyone told me every day. I would never get breakfast made because everyone wants you to do something every day. And you have to choose. I mean, that's what it means to be an adult. Well, a proper adult is you have to choose. And that means you say no to about 800 other things. And you wrestle through the guilt of saying no to all of them. I mean, my painting is such a big part of our lives. My boys know that they do their home education independently several days in the week because my best energy is in the morning and I need that time to create and to paint. And so they are all rallying behind me. And so then they get to your studio and you're like, oh, I better do something great. Well, then you're really setting yourself up to have a terrible painting day. So it's, it's psychological, it's spiritual, it's physical, but it is, um, it's required. If you want to be good at something, you have to do it every day. There's no way around that. Is it a set time that you have every day? Is it, is it an hour? Is it like 20 minutes? What, um, is it, it predictable like that? Or It is because I have a family. So I teach the boys almost, um, well, Monday through Friday, eight to 12, because we home educate them. And then we break for lunch make lunch for the family and then from one to five every day that's my time to paint and grow my art business and paying bills and doing chores and jogging and cleaning you know all the other things also get jammed into those four hours <laughs> so um okay yeah, tight yeah so it's not just painting for from one to five it's oh man wouldn't that be amazing no it's not <laughs> okay all right so uh, realistically then what is it is it it's it's that's it's, the time frame but what is the time that you have to paint is realistic to, one to three hours every day one yeah. two two three hours every day realistically so some days are better than others yes and some days i purposely stop because i can tell mentally i'm going to destroy the painting ah interesting What's that? What's that like? How do you know you're about to destroy your painting? What What's the indication? Um, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, it's It feels to me viscerally like when you're having an argument with your spouse and you know if you keep pushing based on their level of fatigue and your own, you're going to hurt each other in ways that just aren't worth it. It feels like that. Yeah. Gotcha. So the, is there something in the painting or is it something in yourself that you're paying attention to? Usually it's something in myself. Yeah. Ah, okay. But there are times in the painting, you have to say out loud, stop, stop. You're ruining it. Stop. That's enough. Stop. And what's nice about watercolor is you can put a stroke down and if you catch it in the first, maybe five seconds, you can blot it off. If it's a really uh, light color and not a, a staining paint. So. so it's like sending a Gmail. <laughs> you can undo it, but you had better be all over that undo button really fast. Because yes. if you're it's nanosecond done. late. Yeah, it's done. It's gone. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the level I'm able to relate to this is, is email. Here we go. Like a free email program that uh, trillions of people have. 
yeah, that's that's um, fascinating. The psychology behind this is really fascinating. Um, <clears throat> there's so much I want to ask you, but I, I'm just kind of I love how you're you are really leaving me all the breadcrumbs that I can because there's otherwise I wouldn't know what to choose to ask. But because I it's a kind of overwhelming, but the psychology of painting is interesting to me. Me too. Um, the the battle that you have inside of you, you have all sorts of uh, battles. Well, it's not really a battle, but you have all these challenges around you and uh, and out, outside of you, in terms of your commitments and your the other things you care about. It's not like you don't care if you didn't care about them then you would just like you know do whatever the heck you want and then eventually suffer whatever consequences eventually but but you you do care about a lot of things and you know it seems to me like you care deeply about the integrity of what you're doing as an artist you want to do it right but that doesn't necessarily mean you want to do it like everybody else you have that and see that's part of the integrity that's the right. integrity is you have to be true to what's going on inside of you and the 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 pull or whatever it is inside of you that pushes you to the next level of excellence. To me, it seems like you're always striving for something more excellent. That's, that's very perceptive of you. I didn't realize I come across like that, but it's true. I'm not you, sure, you, I'm not, it might be that I'm just super perceptive and you don't come across like that to most people, I but I, I, I see it. Perceptive. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I but, think that's one of the things that's fun about talking with you is that you study people. And I think people feel seen by you, Lucas. And as an artist, you're trying to create something that is seeable. I mean, I remember when I painted that still life for your wife, and she told me that you spent so much time just pouring over it and studying it. And I was so complimented. I mean, there's no better compliment than knowing the, something you poured over, you created, you carefully thought through the colors and the shapes and the dark and the light and the tension and the peace and the busyness and the quietness and that someone else is seeing that. I mean, that's why we paint. Yeah. Are you referring to the, the piece? I think you're referring to the piece that's... Uh overlooking the i think it's the yampa river on a bridge from no, behind i'm not no okay. i'm referring to the piece i did for a birthday present for her it was a still life it had a cucumber in it and it had um some a little journal in it a black journal and um it was several years yes back. i okay i remember that i have, i'm having a hard time pulling it up right it's now okay. i don't have it you have it somewhere <laughs> or she does i do Oh. Well, she has it because I mailed it to her. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, we've run out of room on our, our walls. Otherwise, it would be on the wall. Oh, I know but, you have. It'll yeah. be there when you have the wall space. We really love hanging up uh, guns. 
That's great. Just kidding. <laughs> no, we we have like a bunch of paintings. We have nowhere, no more. We we ran out of room a while ago. We got to get more room. Yes, we do. really do. Um, do. That would be pretty sad if if you came over and there's just a bunch of guns on the wall. <laughs> you have perfectly good art, and you you're sending us these price, priceless guns paintings. Are, and, guns are a type of art. It's a different yeah, type of art. They're more right. craftsy. Yeah. The craftsmanship is definitely there. And, mm -hmm. Well, uh, how do you choose your subjects of your painting? Like, how? Tell us about the psychology. Is it is it immediate that you know you like up oh, that I'm gonna paint that 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 barn with that tractor. I'm gonna paint. Sometimes, gonna... yeah. Okay. Um, plein air painting, which is the French word for out in the open air, it just means painting outdoors with all the, ugh, the, you know, the rain and the snow and the wind and the bugs. That's what makes it so challenging, at, not, to, not to mention the people. But when you go outdoors and, you know, photographers have the same problem and you have so much to capture. And so the feeling of being overwhelmed, is, it's kind of, you know, costing you and you have to decide what of all this beauty do I want to paint? And that's when it's really important to pay attention to what particularly calls you. And that, that you usually know that pretty soon, but then you start to get your, your mind gets in gear and it starts arguing with you or with your emotional response. That's not going to work. Or they're all setting up over there. Maybe I should paint that. And, oh, I painted that last time. It didn't work. Or, I'm not good at rocks. Or, I can't paint that tree. And then you have this really debate as you're trying to sit, set up and paint something. So that's what makes landscape painting, you know, really challenging work. Um, but, you know, I have an example because sometimes you can talk about this stuff and for the people listening, they'll just have to go to, you know, my website or my blog to see my work, but I can show you what I mean. Or go to the YouTube and then from there, there go. go to your website. Yeah, yeah watch, watch the YouTube and you'll see it. So this is a painting I did on, on site. So I was sitting underneath, uh, I was standing underneath the scaffolding, and then there was this church. I could barely see through all the scaffolds, and then this was almost completely blocked, and these were blocked as well by the scaffolding. So I had to move my head around, and this is a painting of a church in Portsmouth. And there's a lot about this that isn't right. I wouldn't say this is a bad painting, but it's, a, it's, um, it's not a finished piece. I wouldn't sell this, um, but it provides enough of what's called the notes, kind of like a musical note of the way the church looked in the light and the farmer's market tents below. So I took this, which I was pleased with enough to create the studio piece um, here in my studio of this. You can see the differences and the similarities. The studio piece has um, people in it. Right. And the there's people are at the bottom, yeah. Yeah, underneath the tents and you can Got see there's street one. lights too yep i added these street lights mm -hmm. and you can see this guy he's really heavily lit by the sun and i'm trying right. to tell a story and this one has more meaning this was more just recording the day and this is telling a story you know the sort of narrative of forgetting the church underneath the tents of commerce and Everything is pointing up to the spires of the church at so the repetition of the vertical lines of the trees, the, the church, the lights, the tents, and then the block, right? You can't even see above the tents or the trees to see the church anymore. So this takes crafting 
thinking, planning, and you have more time. Whereas this, you're on the spot. I love the way the church is lit. I was like, I don't care if there's a scaffold and I have to duck under it. I'm painting that church. Gotcha. Wow. That That's a lot right there. So <laughs> when you, okay. So you're walking yeah. by a scene like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that bit about the story that you're telling. Are you saying that you see the story there, the way it's being presented in reality? Or are you saying that you take a scene and then you're like, eh, the scene's not really telling a story, but I have a story to tell. And I'll tell you, I'm going to go ahead and make this scene right. This is how my painting is going to be what I should be seeing. How does that work? Fantastic question. So that is the key. You just you have just summarized the key difference between fine art painting and land and um, illustration. So illustration can also be fine art and exquisitely done, but illustration is usually about there's a story, Hansel and Gretel. I have to paint them in the woods because that's what happens to these kids. You're, you're, you're really confined and you can do it with so much creativity in a new way. Whereas landscape painting, you have to go out and see, and there's some people, I swear, they paint the exact same scene I'm painting, but every one of their paintings looks like it's a rainy day. It's like they don't really paint what they're seeing. They're kind of overlaying their own personal style onto the painting. I think if you're gonna be a landscape painter, you need to have some humility and noticing of what the day is sharing. Of course, you alter things to make it a stronger painting, but why paint outdoors to capture the light and then make it all look like a rainy day? I think as a landscape painter, I wanna engage the reality of what I'm seeing. Now, I, as all artists, am drawn towards certain types of scenes. That's part of how you develop a style. It's not because you're like, I'm going to paint like Picasso. That's not developing a personal style. It's because each artist wants to paint some things over other things. And then there's the reason behind that. Why? Why do, why do church steeples and roof lines always draw me? You know? And it's because of the, the bygotten days of what these churches used to mean. And the sadness of so many of these churches completely destroyed in terms of the truth they offer or just empty and converted into coffee houses or which are also super fun. But there's just, um, there's a, a lost narrative about the churches in America. And that draws me, I want to paint that. So I don't feel like I'm like shoving the narrative into the painting as much as the the things I paint drew me because of the narrative that's already there. That's an interesting quote that you have, uh, what the, you, you go for what the day is sharing. That's, that was your quote. I'm pretty sure that was a quote. (laughs) What the day is sharing. Yeah. This is what that day shared to me. And it's interesting. You didn't say, actually, you didn't say to me, you said what the day is sharing. Because I believe it's, it's, it's like that passage in um, the Old Testament um, that the heavens declare the glory of God day to day pours, pours forth speech night to night reveals knowledge. And so everything in nature is shouting, but very few of us tune in 
And I really believe the things I'm seeing and the things I'm painting, many other people see. And I think that's why my painting sell is that people identify something that I'm communicating that they also have experienced. Yeah. So you, you don't shy, shy away from your religious faith. You're religious. You want to talk about that? I would never call myself religious, though I understand it's a useful term for people liking to organize and put things into pots and label them. There might be a, an atheist out there, some secular person that's listening to you <laughs> no, say I that, and, they, and they, 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 they're going to go, I know what you say. They all, they, they, whenever I hear someone say they're not religious, and then they start talking about Jesus or something, a bunch well, of religion, but then they start talking about religion. Yeah, but yeah. you know, I I know what you mean. But um, in case there's somebody in the future that's listening to this, uh, yeah, what do you mean by that? You well, know, by, what do you mean by you're not religious? But you're talking uh, about the Psalms. You said nature shouts. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think almost almost everything I've experienced in growing up and becoming an adult. Um, has pointed to so much pain and mess in this world and also so much beauty. And those two things exist next to each other. And that's what painting is about, is capturing that tension, you know, the beauty and the, and the ugliness. How do you get both of them? And how do you represent them accurately? And the best guide I found to facing reality at all costs has been my creator and God and you know, people call them by all kinds of different names, but the tradition I was raised in and the one that I found to be the truest is when God decided to put on some flesh and came down as Jesus. So yeah, I do think Jesus is a huge part of it, but it's important. I think if religious is not a word that a religious person wants to be called to pay attention to why that is. I mean, I would never call an atheist an atheist if they thought, said, that's really offensive to me. I'm not an atheist. I'm a you know, I'm an agnostic. I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Let me get my labels correct. You know, that's a big deal these days. So I wouldn't say I'm religious because I don't go weekly to a church service. I'm not religious in the sense that I am committed to um, a certain authority on earth to tell me what to do and what to believe. And yet I do submit myself to truth. And I don't think you have to be religious to do that. So I mentioned earlier in the, the episode that we met in a philosophy class in a graduate philosophy class. Yeah. Um, can uh, you give us a sense of what philosophy has meant for you in this whole thing? Yeah. Being an artist and well, just in life, I guess, first, but like. You know, people might wonder, why were you in a philosophy? Mm -hmm. um, why was I there? I yeah. <laughs> well, they probably were wondering that about me, too, but I keep talking about it. So I think they're just used to it now. But let me think. I, I've never been asked that because did you um, did you major in philosophy as an undergrad? No, no. I majored in English and literature and art. Um, let's see. It's always concerned me that so many Christians throw their brain out to follow Jesus. I always found that just embarrassing and 
disrespectful to the God who created their brain, obviously. Um, one of the things I'm so proud of about the boys I'm, ra I'm raising is that they're smart. They're borderline smarter than me already. And it's intimidating and it's beautiful. But I hate the tradition that's so thick in religious circles that says you don't need to think. You just need childlike faith. I don't believe childlike faith is in the Bible. I believe Jesus calls for childlike humility. I think God wants grown-up minds, which is why the best scientists have always been followers and lovers of God. So I, I went into philosophy because I wanted to ask my own questions. And I wanted good guides. I went to the University of Virginia for three years and got two two degrees, um, I majored in two different things. And I really was such a poor education. It was so poor. Really? It wasn't because of great inflation and it wasn't because I didn't work hard. It's because so many of the people there were smart and they knew how to work the system and they didn't care about learning. Hmm. And this is back. Talking about the students or are you talking about the professors? Students and some professors. You know, the corruption was already big enough there. You could tell some professors they were much more concerned with their own reputation than they were with teaching well. Not all of them. I had a few good ones, but I was very disappointed. You know, I went there. I considered the number one university at the time, public university at the time, and I was so disappointed by my classmates. They didn't, they didn't care about learning like I did. I, I mean, I don't mind being called a nerd. That's okay. But please, if you don't care about learning, please do not come to a liberal arts university and pretend you care about learning. It just destroys your seminars. Um, people would brag about like, oh my gosh, it's the second week, you know, second month of the semester. I haven't even cracked a book yet. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh, you guys, this is what you're bragging about. It was like, it wasn't sexy to study. You know, it's the same yeah. now. It's worse. Oh yeah. So then I went to Talbot at Biola University and I was surrounded by all these mostly guys who actually wanted to learn. It was so refreshing. I loved it. Hungry. Yeah. So Hungry for it. Yeah. Just, I don't care about the degrees anymore. I realize now I just want to follow people who care deeply about teaching the truth or the skill or the craft. That's why I went to Andy Evenson. I mean, I've taken so many art classes and there are so many professors and teachers are about making things look like they know what they're doing, not about actually imparting knowledge and security to find your own way to learn this craft or discipline. I'm, I'm embarrassed that UVA was so bad. And yet I still say UVA and people get all impressed because they just don't know any better. So anyways, that's why I went to get my philosophy degree. It really helped grow my mind and it taught me how to study in a way UVA never did. And um, it gave me some really lifelong fellow friends who were learners like you and your wife. How did you know that philosophy was the thing you should study? But because you said you, you majored in English and history, right? Yes. Um, so was it, what, when was it that philosophy came on your radar? Okay. So this is something interesting about me. I know you can tell I'm pretty shy and retiring and I don't like talking very much. This is so hard for me to talk. I've always been super extroverted, um, but sensitive. And um, as a very sensitive to God and what he's saying to me. And I've always sensed 
him in my life. He's helped save me from such a difficult childhood. Um, it gave me a lifeline through some really dark years. And when I was um, 15, um, starting my junior year, I was always a little young. I decided I was going to go to a public high school for my last year. Um, so I, I was, I'd always been in private schools or Christian schools, but for my senior year, I decided to leave my Christian, small Christian high school and go to a local secular school, which was four times larger and definitely more scary. And I went with the mentality. You want to say the name of the high school? Yeah, it was Whittier Christian High School mm -hmm. in Southern California. And then I left it for Lacerna High School. Lacerna had 2,000 students. Many of them bust in. Hispanic kids bust in because that's, of the bus. That's in a nice area in Whittier. It's called Friendly Hills area. Mm -hmm. nice. That's a nice area. It is. Um, it's like 90210, except for it's more like 90638 or something like that. <laughs> there could have been there could have been there could have been a show 90638 that's funny yes it was a, it is a very posh area but they they bust in a good 500 mexican students which i'm mexican so I, I was very open to getting to know them but you could feel the cultural divide it was huge all the mexican kids ate in the cafeteria because they were given you know their food there they didn't have many of them didn't bring lunches and I remember once going in and sitting with them and I just spoke Spanish with them the whole the whole lunch period and got to know them there was no other I, mean, I look more Anglo more white but there was no other white kids in the whole cafeteria I was the only one I felt like I was going into another country anyways I went to La Serna to be a missionary because I wanted to share my love for Jesus and you ought you have to see how odd that is I mean it's odd even looking back 20 years later, I'm like, what was I doing? I mean, that's my commitment to God. And my love for Jesus was so strong. I really. So you were at Whitty, Whittier Christian. Mm -hmm. And you're, this is your junior year, oh. right? You're like, was, you're just like, you're like, I'm going to be a missionary. You can't stop me. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be going over to that public high school. Damn it. Yeah, it was. Except for you said darn it. You didn't say didn't damn say, it. I wasn't even allowed to say darn, Lucas. <laughs> what, what what were your cuss words growing up? What, what were you oh, allowed to say? I, I mean, everybody's got cuss words. We just changed the spelling of them. So many words. The F word in my family was fart, which I still have a hard time saying. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of an ugly word. It's it's not. It's like wart. Wart is an ugly word, too, but. My boys think it's a wonderful word. It's used many times a day over here. Really? Yes. I'm sorry. It's actually I'm really. You should have led this whole episode with that fact. Then we would all just totally understood. Would have been like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't cuss much. Um, well, but see, that's interesting. Cussing. I think actually everybody cusses. It's just that some words they don't think are cuss words, but they really are. I mean, because it's about the heart, isn't it? I don't know. Of course it's about the heart. It. I'm just no, throwing yes. theories no, out there. Heart, no, had so much anger and lust and envy and issues. I'm not saying I was like a perfect girl. Right, I right, happened right. to not cuss. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot uh, of Christian so serial killers out there. According to Jesus' definition, where if you have anger in your heart, you're, yes. you're guilty of murder. Yes. So 
Yeah, if you could say, if you say darn with the same level of anger. I think it's say, a level of wrath. It's more of a, you know, we've all had that feeling of wishing someone didn't exist, wanting to wipe them out because that's the most convenient way to get rid of their pain in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt that. I mean, we all have. Um, well, so you <laughs> became this missionary. How did that go? Did, did you, did, was that fulfilling to you? Uh, being a senior in this public high school and did you feel like you really were a missionary? I did, Lucas. I did. I um, I remember starting a women's Bible study there and several girls meeting Jesus for the first time, atheists, agnostics, um, just sort of like nominal Catholics, um, friends of mine, you know, and it wasn't just a let me like save you and convert you. It was like, these are my girlfriends I hang out with in school. And they all thought I was a little weird. They would admit that later in the school year. But I could tell, you know, I found my niche. I found my people in drama. I was, I did a lot of acting and our plays were really popular and well-known. And um, at the end of the year, they crowned me prom queen at the dance. And I was just, I didn't even know what Dang, a prom dude. queen was. <laughs> you, you got it. You were prom queen. That's kind of like a big step. How did you go from, well, first of all, who are these people, these secular people? like that you obviously were out of the box as a Christian, right? You, and then they just now know you, they just now meet you. So how did you go? F- how did you, how did you get how it happened? I don't know how that happened. You know, I, Interesting. I guess someone stacked the ballots in my favor. I actually think that was, do you think it was, I can't say it because they'll take the video down. Well, never mind. I'm not going to say the word because there's censorship on, on YouTube. If you say certain words about certain processes that get officials into office, not even kidding the words that start with E F. So I was going to make a joke about that. You getting uh, the censorship. It's preventing people from even seeing reality. It's horrible. You can't find out. It's actually uh, that I will just say that it's satanic. I guarantee you it's satanic because it, the, the lack of being able to talk openly is characteristic of all the darkest regimes that have ever existed on planet earth. And that's not an accident. They, they take away freedom of speech, which in turn uh, takes away the freedom of thought. And they take away the freedom to defend yourself with firearms or any kind of weapon that you would use for self-defense. Innocent con. I'm, I don't mean offensive use of, of a weapon. I don't mean I don't mean terrifying people and making people feel afraid and under. There's... You mean like the father who's in his home in a terrible part of the neighborhood who has an intruder coming in has no firearm to protect his wife and children because someone in Washington decided that it was appropriate to remove firearms for self protection and this person yeah. has to wait for the police and, and in public too. And in public. Yeah, and in public too. It's it's a little bit harder to, to cash out the public carry stuff, yeah. because it's a it's not private space. But um, but yeah, in public too. Um, that's what I love about this recent court decision. We're we're recording this in July of 2022, and there's a recent court decision that overturned really really severe restrictions on people. Say restrictions. I don't know if they, I, I don't think restrictions is a good word. They, they overturned the discrimination that was allowed by regulation 
That's a great way to put it. Very clear, Lucas. Yeah. Well, it just allowed so much discretion for individuals' personal biases to determine whether you had a right to defend yourself in public. And um, there was no objective standard like you had to prove really subjective to some somebody's subjective standard. And really probably what was happening was there's there's a bunch of corruption. Absolutely. Like it, only people that could pay to have those secretly could pay right. would have those. And uh, it's not like Donald Trump has a better reason. He had a concealed carry permit. Why would why would he? Well, he's a billionaire. That's the thing. Uh, it's not that you have personal staff to protect you all the time. You don't right. have to with these things. Well, it's never it's never poor people that get them. It, there's not 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 any poor people, and they live in danger. They are actually the ones that need them. That's right. You know, the people that are that are taking the subway and they're there and they have this job and they're in the middle of the night. Donald Trump has doesn't have to take the subway. Right. The most- he, what does he need a concealed carry for? Really, he's in his limousine. Anyway, so it's it, it's good. Well, it's, it's such a moralizing a... act action is to say I yeah. treat anyone who doesn't have the luxuries I have as if they're unworthy of protection of protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. It's so. I mean, talk about yeah. like caring about the most vulnerable. If you really care about the most vulnerable, you should be a hundred percent behind protecting people's right to bear arms how do how does someone like me able to go out and paint in the fields all by myself unless i have a sidearm to be able to know if somebody comes up behind me i can protect myself you can't you can't just i can't fight them off (laughs) i don't even care if i have like a little pocket knife that's not going to do anything you have to you have to honor people's complete inequalities of strength and the only Mm. way to level that is with a sidearm Hmm. but you know what carrying a sidearm with open carry in colorado the west the crazy west the place where yellowstone's filmed was just as scary as walking as a christian onto that public school campus as a 16 year old and thinking i'm here to share jesus it was just as scary it was the same scariness level as walking into walmart in 2021 without a mask it was the same level of scary that feeling i'm a minority Everyone around me thinks I'm wrong, scary, foolish, probably stupid. And I have to simmer into the deep identity I have in knowing that what I have thought about in the quietness of my room and my heart and my prayer closet with God and the people I trust, that this is truth and this is right and this is light and this is hope. And I'm a huge people pleaser. Obviously, you can't become prompt me without being one. But to be able to stand firmly, completely against the tide. I mean, well, Jesus said this is what happened. What would happen? You know, they're not going to like you. <laughs> they're not. They're not Let's unpack gonna... what you just said because I think some people are like wondering what just happened in the conversation. Uh, we were talking about you becoming prom queen. Then, then all of a sudden, we started talking about the Second Amendment. <laughs> And, and, and then it seemed like you mentioned Colorado all of oh. a sudden and and people are maybe wondering where you live and uh you know yeah you and then you, you sounded like you said you carried a gun when you when you paint and so that you know now it's like and then you're going to Walmart wait hold on a second what's going on so 
I, I think I'm keeping up with what you're saying. And the reason I'm keeping up with what you're saying is because I've, I've been hiking with you in Colorado and, um, you know, there are mountain lions on that land. And yes. I I've seen you, you were in front of me for a period of time on the hike. And I happened to see that, that your shirt raised up a little bit and you were, you had in the small of your back, uh, I think it was in H and K 40 caliber Smith and Wesson, you know, and you, you had a firearm, you're packing heat. And, um, and I happen to know that you're well-trained and you take that, uh, privilege, right. Responsibility very seriously. I say privilege with the same oomph as I say, right. Because, uh, in the constitution, the right of habeas corpus, the word isn't right. It's privilege. And it's just as much of a right as everything else. The privilege of habeas corpus, the privilege of the writ. It's a right. There's, and a lot of people misunderstand what the word privilege means. Privileges or immunities, the word is in the Constitution. It means this has some teeth. That's what it means. There's a lot of misinformation about that. But Thank of course, it's not flagged. It's not flagged by YouTube, though. Thank you for washing <laughs> that word off a little bit. The privilege. Yeah, yeah. Very. Yeah, yeah. So very you have. You yes. and you probably would be pretty scrappy in a fight, I think. But your point is so well taken to me is um, there there's all sorts of reasons people might feel vulnerable. I've been injured before. And I, you know, when I when a man is injured, it's it's uh it's a vulnerable for me, it's a very vulnerable feeling. And to think that I'm um, being micromanaged about my personal safety just just seems so wrong to me. That is a great way to say that. We yeah. are being micromanaged as adults in terms of what is appropriate amount of force for our personal safety. It's so demeaning. Where do you live now? We live in the seacoast of New Hampshire, the last um, free state left in New England. Um, we moved from Colorado two years, oh, a year and a half ago. We lived in Steamboat Springs, Colorado in the Rocky Mountains for about 15 years where we ran a, uh, we ran our nonprofit helping Christians have healthier souls and fight spiritual abuse. And before that, I lived in Los Angeles where I was terrified of guns. And I thought I was so certain the police would always be there to help protect me. I thought my mace oh. and my, my purse was enough. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, maybe I did. And I just forgot. That's so there's, there's been an evolution on your view of the right to self-defense. Oh yes. I was terrified to take a self-defense class to learn mm -hmm. how to use a sidearm. I actually went to the sidearm class. It was like a five-day class pregnant with my oldest. And I was terrified. I went to my gynecologist, make sure, is it okay? The baby's not going to be hurt. Cause we had to fire so many rounds. She's like, Oh, that'll be fine. The baby's going to be great. So you can see me in the class, my little baby bump and firing these, you know, in, in people's minds, a woman pregnant firing a gun is like, ah, my head's going to explode. But the reason the baby's safe is because the mother knows how to handle a sidearm. I mean, that's part of why I was doing it. Because I'm a good runner. I could run fast. I always thought I could outrun an assailant, stupidly. But now with a baby, you can't jog along with a baby on your hip and run away. It just it made so much sense to me if I'm going to be a good mother 
A good mother is a mama bear and a mama bear as a human has to know how to handle a sidearm. Wow, that's a great quote. Mama bear. You've seen <laughs> and you, you you've seen mama bears in real life, right? I have seen mama bears in on my front porch. <laughs> when you lived in Colorado. Yes. We had mountain lion and bear. My son was whittling wood and a bear snuck up behind him while he was whittling. He was so terrified, poor kid. He wouldn't go outside and whittle wood after that for years. They were very um, curious. Did you say that you were open carrying a firearm into Walmart in Colorado? No, no, it wasn't into Walmart. I only would open carry for a little while. I couldn't handle the social pressure not to for very long. It took so much mental and emotional preparation, but I would open carry a sidearm when I had girls night out late at night in Steamboat Springs or in Denver, any place I was gonna be by myself with females who like to me always are projecting vulnerability, just how they're dressed. And I'd always, I'd, I'd carry concealed or open. Okay, so did you say you carried openly in Denver? No, I never openly carried in Denver. I would conceal carry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't see that in Denver, typically. I mean, I grew up in in that area, so I don't I don't think I ever saw anybody open carrying in Denver. But um, no, you could feel the social pressure. It's just like with the masks. You know, nobody's doing it, and you feel like people yeah. are so sensitized to guns being the sort of automatic grenade that the pin's been pulled on like the fact that it exists is so much reminder to them of violence they get gun violence it gets shoved together into one word gun violence and they can't separate right. the two that the gun can be used to prevent violence that doesn't even enter their mind right but actually you don't have a chance to stop violence unless someone with training is carrying one of those right and so enter people's minds they never had to think about it well, it's a bias toward the government, I think. It's the same in economics, but I was teaching uh, business ethics uh, on the Cal States and at Pepperdine. A little bit less at Pepperdine, you find this, but at the Cal States, I would always have like a Bernie contingent in the class, in business classes. They're upper level classes, but there's always these Bernie people in there. And it's a little scary to, to think that uh, I'm my class business ethics and public policy was the first time they were ever taking the non-Bernie position seriously, but it's a bias toward the government. They would be talking about the 1%. They'd be really concerned about the 1%. I'd say, you know, what's missing in your analysis about the pie chart, as far as wealth goes, is the government. You never talk about the government, how much, how much wealth the government controls and owns <laughs> as, as if the government doesn't have any bank accounts, doesn't own any land. Um, is not an actor in any way other than benevolent or something. And these words of, yeah, these words of used of social programs, they're so inappropriately used, like generous, generous social security, but the compassionate, you know, no, no, the, these programs are not compassionate. They're not generous. Those are wrong words that those words don't apply. This is, this is a, this is a strange legal person, the government. And whatever it is, it's not generous and it's not, it's not compassionate, but it does own property and it does control well and not very efficiently either. If it was a private party, you would have the most severe disdain for this individual. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a, a private party acting this way? 
I know. But of course, if they had, if this private party had nuclear weapons, you'd watch what you were saying, right? <laughs> well, well, actually, I agree with you. I think that's a really good um, analysis of how the um, the bias towards government being capable, efficient, knowledgeable enough to fix these problems. But when I think of sidearms themselves, the only time people feel okay with sidearms is when they're in the holster of a yeah. of a cop, right? And they that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. But you know, I realized because I hate seeing a sidearm. I hate it. I hate seeing it on my hip. I hate seeing it on my husband's. I hate seeing it on people in public, open or concealed carry. I hate it. And I know why I hate it. This is the thing. My emotions don't dictate my gun policy because the gun itself is a red flag saying this world is screwed up. It's very existence says the world is screwed up. It's existence on my hip says there's someone out there with his mind or her mind bent on evil. And this is all I have to help protect me from them. And the existence of it is so terrifying to people who live in their matrix world of this is great. Everything's okay. The government's gonna take care of me. The police are right there. The police wave at me. The cops are good in this town. We're in a safe area. The firemen are handsome. We're good. It's just a, it's just a, it's a jarring splash of cold water in people's faces and it isn't mine, but, but my discomfort shouldn't, my, my discomfort should not then drive me to shut my eyes to the reality. And, you know, I use the same thing when I paint. There are things I have to paint three, four, five, six, ten 10 times. The discomfort shouldn't keep me from producing something beautiful. The discomfort can't be the, the, the in the driver's seat. That's what children do or dogs. <laughs> I like the, 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 it, the, the point you made about gun violence, the term. Oh, uh, gun yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One word. Gun violence, a term. I, it's never used of police officers. It's never, that's what I mean by it. There's a bias toward oh. the government. It's oh, never okay. used for police officers. It's never used for the army. I was going to say the military. I was thinking too, like it's, it's usually don't hear like hand violence when someone's strangled. Like if someone's bent on evil, they don't need a gun <laughs> to do it. There's lots of ways to hurt someone. Do you remember President Obama? Remember that guy? He, when he was bragging, he was bragging that he killed Osama bin Laden. Yeah. You never heard it reported that there was gun violence. It, it was, but it was Obama's violence. Again. It was celebrated gun violence. And now there, there's other terms too, like um, the gunman. People say the gunman, blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah. Well, but the people chasing the gunman are gunmen too. You know, gunmen. you know, you know that's what I mean by the bias. It's 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 it's, it's always the gun's fault if it's if it's uh, a crime, but stopping. So the, the gun gets blamed if it's bad, but if it's good, it never gets credit. It's not like, it's not like, so there's a, they call it, and also the word shooting. There's a, they call it a, a shooting. A shooter now, and a now, shooter. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. It's why would you choose that word? It's because there's a bias against private ownership of guns. That's why, that's the only reason you would choose that word instead of, if it's murder, there's a perfectly good word for it. Murder it goes back to the Ten Commandments. And it's an old word and it's perfectly sturdy and reliable. 
Um, and yeah, I think it's clear and it's, it's a severe crime. It's severe. Now, if you discharge a firearm in public, uh, meaning a shooting, that could be a crime because it's disturbing the public peace, but that's much less of a crime than murder. So why would, if it was a murder, why would you describe it in a much less of a crime way? Well, it's, it's all Unless about you just, yeah. give people this oversensitization to guns as a mishandled thing. Yes, that that's right. Not trusted with. And I, that's right. As I, if private citizens can't learn to, to use them well, but private citizens have had them longer than we've had the police. Like, for example, in New Hampshire, that's, that's a really, well, I mean, from American standards, American government standards, it's an old uh you know jurisdiction yeah, i guess i would say 13 colonies yeah it's one of the original 13 col colonies there was no police at the time of the founding but there were private citizens people have become who, so reliant who were on the government they don't realize that insurance fire departments policemen libraries all of these were perfectly capably handled for the communities yeah. private citizens motivated by love care concern yeah. responsibility yeah so yeah i like i love how you're looking at this uh constitutionally i'm assuming and 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 morally so you uh went through this uh p period where you began taking self-defense more seriously um and uh you you kind of you don't celebrate it because it's not you celebrate you celebrate that you're able to protect your family and yourself that's good but you don't I don't, you don't know celebrate that you have to protect yourself i don't think i'd celebrate even that i had to get training and and to, and to learn how to operate a sidearm to me it's like celebrating having to get trained to understand why a baby inside a woman's womb is 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 a, a life a human life it's like just the fact that i have to argue this to me is evidence of how broken down people's reasoning has become how lied to people are how much people love the darkness rather than the light and i don't i don't celebrate it i think in the new world when when god properly sits as king and we order our bodies and our souls around life-giving things like creating and fishing and traveling and eating good food and feasting together we will not need sidearms right i hope so i hope that's true <laughs> yeah I, I see what you're saying it's you uh it, it's probably more likely that you'll uh encounter a beautiful vista in heaven something that you'd want to paint than um a gun store where, you know, I mean, you might enjoy going into a gun store and, and enjoy the craftsmanship and the, just for what it is. Um, you're, you're kind of making the best of us a, a bad situation, I guess, is what you're saying is we have this bad situation down here in um, what we're going through in our earthly existence. And uh, you know, might as well celebrate a little bit of craftsmanship on the self-defense tool but it's not like one of those things where it's like a waterfall at Yosemite or something. You're not, you're not. <laughs> right. You know. And I want to be careful because I haven't thought about this very deeply. I'd like to chat with it with Dale more. He's more of my 
really. I've been spending so much time in the art world. I'm not as, as sharp philosophically, Lucas, but I do think, you know, I've hunted. I, I've helped my husband hunt and skin and quarter an animal in, in an elk several times in the Rocky Mountains. And I helped my son when he shot his first grouse. And I see weapons, even knives, you know, for the most part, they're used to, to take life and put it in portions that we can then use so that we can have life. It's a very costly thing for us to be alive, to, to eat. And I, I, I'm very careful with food. I eat very healthy and very concerned about what I put in my body. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know in the new heavens and the new earth, will we shoot and kill animals? Will we hunt? Will we eat meat? I mean, some people can't imagine paradise without meat. And then I think of all the people who are sharpshooters and archery bowsmen. And they're like, they're like, you know, they're really good with aiming and like, they love precision. And I, I just, I don't want to take that away either. So I'm not sure. I just know for me, sidearms are always an indicator of the brokenness of the world. Yeah. And then I think you would say something like, if someone wants to take it away for your good. Oh my But word. they don't, they don't have any responsibility over your life after that. I was raised in a family you're like just that. A, you're I just know. a statistic after that. Oh my word. Um, I know exactly where that. That's worse is what you're saying. Oh, it's so demonic. It's evil. It is so it's, so a, it's worse. So the gun on your hip, you don't, you don't celebrate. But it's having that is better than not having it. Oh, yeah, you're creating a, a system where people are completely vulnerable and then praising yourself when you come marching in on your white horse to rescue them. We know this. We know this from dysfunctional families. Any therapist worth their salt would say, you're setting up a situation for people to fall and then congratulating yourself when you come in bringing a stretcher. Wow. How dare you? How dare you think you're so noble? And it's a savior complex, man. Hmm. It is super ugly and unattractive and it is dead wrong. You're uh, pretty outspoken and you're a small business owner. Do you have any kind of uh, trepidation by that? I mean, your work is awesome. Anybody could tell your work is awesome. And I want you to show some more of your faith. Some of, show us some more of your your artwork in a second, but, but, uh, do you, I, I have a deep respect for anybody that has a small business in America. Small business is the backbone of our economy. Um, God bless you for that. I mean, so you, uh, do you have any trepidation about, um, sharing so openly about, some convictions you have about the first amendment, about the second amendment, about, um, your faith, your, the way you see things. Yeah. Scary. It's scary. Money talks. People continually try to shut people up with money or lack of sales. But I did that, Lucas. I did that for 15 years. I self muzzled about some of the things that I cared about the most for the sake of running a nonprofit and raising money and getting donations. And that's what the twenties and thirties are for making stupid mistakes to fit in. But I'm in my forties now time is precious and I'm not interested in pretending to, to dress a certain way. So the cool kids will like me. 
if my sales go down, they go down. I'm not going to stop painting though. You know, painting is, painting is a gift. Painting is so exciting. Painting is so interesting. And it, it's why I'm alive. It's why I was put here this time. And I'm still trying to figure out how to blend my abilities of painting with the training I have to think about these things carefully. I, I'm still interested in how God is going to weave all the chords together, but by golly, I have to keep painting. That is something that's so clear to me. Hmm. Even if I just paint pretty pictures to some people, it's so rewarding to me. So I don't think that the, yeah, it's scary. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it's like super easy, but you know, what, what, how do you want to live your life? Some people, I mean, I don't put this on my social account because I'm not an expert in this. You're asking me, I'm telling you <laughs> friend to friend kind of personally what I believe. I won't go on a speaking tour and talk about the second amendment though. I'm not studied up on it enough to consider myself an expert. Right. Well, you are an expert. You are an expert in what you're an expert in. And that might be a little bit more than you're giving yourself credit for because you are an expert in what it's like to be someone who wants to protect themselves and has to navigate all of the crazy, like what you said, um, kind of manipulative strategies to disarm you. Um, it's not the healthiest rhetoric on, on the side of disarmament and, and it, it comes, the manipulation comes out in this language of we're doing it for your own good. At the same time, everybody knows the police have no duty to, to, to protect any individual, that they're not a bodyguard. That's just not what it is. And so it does require, you said it's scary. It does require courage. And I, I appreciate you saying that it is scary because my understanding of courage is that it requires fear. If you, if you're not, if you don't have any fear, you can't be courageous. So you have courage as a small business owner. Would you like to show us some more of your paintings? Oh yeah. I'd love to do that. Okay. And let's uh, let me make the screen bigger so that everybody can see. Okay. So I always think the most exciting paintings are the ones you're doing right now. So <laughs> these are the ones I did this week. Um, I have a series of cards, flower cards, bird cards, and then like occasion cards. And they're in, I think, 11 shops now in Colorado and New England. Congratulations. And thank you. I've been working really hard going door to door, knocking on doors. Some wonderful people I get to work with. And I'm starting to um, break into some galleries now too, which is super exciting, which means more and more of my paintings are not in a file here in my studio, but they're on walls around the state. It's great. Um, so this is um, a painting I did this week of some, hopefully you can tell there's some tulips. Oh yeah. And, um, I designed the, 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 the way, I mean, I, I use tulips as the reference, but I designed the way I wanted them to look. And then um, this is gonna be a series of four cards. So we have can, two lips. Can yeah. you show us your signature at the bottom too? Oh, sure. <laughs> Each, every, every one of them is signed like that. It's a specific. Yeah. Yeah. It's my first name. It's my first name's hard enough. You know, you don't need to 
throw in the last name when you have a hard first name. So there's the, so we've got a bird of paradise and some tulips. And then um, the daffodils. I'm really pleased with these. This is a little bit more of a courageous composition mm -hmm. with this sweeping across and being blocked by that stem. Oh. Um, and then the last one I did yesterday are the sweet peas. Oh, that's cool. That's my favorite. I mean, they're all cool. I don't mean that's to, for those listening, too. for those <laughs> listening, I don't mean to say the other one sucked, but, but yeah, no. they're all awesome. But that, that, that one, for some reason, grabbed me and I don't yeah. know why, but it, I think it's just the, it's a, uh, something dramatic about it that mm. caught my eye. Might be so the really color. Soon, yeah. The color, there's a lot of variation of color here. So there's um, greens and yellows down here and then blues here. Whereas the original was just, this was all white. So I kind of pressed those colors in. So those will be available as a card collection in about a month. And I'm really excited to start shopping those around my, my different brick and mortar shops here. How do you go about getting them into the shop? You, you show up and you yeah. just kind of ask, wow. You just smile a lot. I use all those gifts that help me become prom queen. And do you negotiate there on the spot a percentage? No, I have they... a set price. I have a set price for my wholesale cards. They're the same in every shop. Hmm. I love that. I love how you just laughed at that. You were like, <laughs> "No, no negotiation. <laughs> there is a set price." I am not good on my feet with money. It's a big weakness of mine. So I have no, to go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that people haggle. I don't. I have no idea. They probably yeah. do. I just, I just don't. I'm just one of those who can't do that. I'm not skilled. Gotcha. <laughs> do you have like a form that they can sign there on the spot, like a, a contract well, or something? It usually involves a lot more back and forth of emails and phone calls. There's places I've called 15 times over years and they still haven't given me a chance. Wow. And you, you persist. That's cool. Wow. That that takes a, part. that takes a lot right there. That, yeah, I mean, just in addition to <laughs> Just in addition to you put all this work on, in your painting and then now you, you obviously don't paint every single card. So is there oh, no. a way that you can, I print them all off. So I, I'll take something that's this big and I'll shrink it down to about a four by six size. And a lot of people will purchase them and frame them. Um, and that's great because they can have a really inexpensive piece of art on their wall. It's small and it's a nice way to share your, what You're do you wish? Yeah, tell us about your theory of art on walls. I think there should be a lot more art on walls. I don't know why. I it always drives me nuts. Drives me nuts when I walk into a college campus classroom. The walls are totally blank, and maybe there's a corkboard with the latest iteration of whatever administrative nonsense they got going on that that week but there's not any kind of art you know and it's like the pe the pepperdine walls and the, and their classrooms are some of the ugliest it just it's just a blank it's just ugh. that's you know? really that's really embarrassment yeah, they're kind of campus on such a beautiful spot. I it really is weird. It's such a dramatically different chain. It's there's a there's a, a film called The Emperor's Club with Kevin Klein. And I showed that film at, at Pepperdine 
when I was teaching, because it's about kind of Western heritage, Western culture, which is the class I was teaching for over 10 years there. And um, his classroom in the film is so elaborately decorated. It's got little Roman statues and it's got all sorts of really cool stuff that are related to the, the material you're studying. It's pleasant to look at. It's inspiring for the students. It makes you want to learn. It's kind of thing. And then in the special features of that DVD, there was an interview with a Pepperdine professor. Actually, he's the guy I replaced <laughs> and they're in the classroom I'm in and the walls are so ugly and blank. And it's, it's just, it breaks your mind. And it's same in churches too, like in churches are ugly. It's always bothered me. It's always bothered me so much. It's a, it's a uh, frag. Humans today are so fragmented. They don't have consistency. They have a gorgeous Instagram feed. Their, their page on Instagram is just rock star, beautiful. And then you go to their home and they live like a slob and it's just so ugly or, and it's so obvious to me that people value beauty. You know, we all know that it's easier to listen to someone who's brushed their teeth and blown their nose than it is to someone who hasn't. It's just like, just personal hygiene is a huge way of serving each other. But I think a lot of people, well, art, like most of the disciplines in the academy, has been overrun by snobs and wannabes and pretenders. And so art has been pulled out of the hands of the common man and woman. And so people think that art belongs to the elites who use a language, an insider language to keep it from being accessible to the common person. So there's that feeling yeah. of inadequacy yeah. and shame, it's big. I don't understand why that painting's beautiful. So I probably shouldn't even say anything. I'll have people say that to me. Well, I couldn't do that. One of the most common things I hear when I'm out in public painting, I couldn't, I can't even draw a straight line. I want to tell, I can't either. I'm terrible at drawing straight lines. You don't need to be able to draw a straight line to be an artist. Who told you that? Who lied to you? I mean, I don't say that. I just keep painting. <laughs> but there's this instant, instant inadequacy. Hmm. Like just, just notice the art. Hmm. Just notice what they're doing. Stop referring back to yourself. <laughs> Is it, is it purely subjective, the, the quality of art? Oh, absolutely not. Art has rules just like running a 10 meter, whatever, five meter, one meter, whatever. <laughs> art has rules. That's, just a, that's a popular misconception, in other words. Oh, it's the elites. They've done it so that they can control everything. It's postmodernism leaked into the arts and it's, it's a power game. No, there's a reason. Oh, let me show you. Let me show you. Here, take this. No, I'm Hold not on. Let me, let me let me make my screen bigger here. Yeah. Okay. So this is a painting, it's a plein air piece. I'm particularly proud of. I did it last month. If I asked you, what is this painting about? Uh, are you asking me? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me what's this painting about. Uh, Give me on, three on words. the spot. Three words. What's it about? Um, I would just say it's about the shoreline. It's about the seaside. Great. Maybe it's no, about no. independence because of the guy that has a boat and he and he could take that anywhere. You're on to me. Okay, so this painting 
isn't about that lighthouse or the lighthouse residence. Those are those are images in the background for those listening. It's, it's in the background. It's much lighter in, in value than the boat or the rocks on purpose because I'm guiding the viewer through the painting as a path. Hmm. The point of the painting is the darkest, you always know the darkest and the lightest, if you're a good painter, are the places you want the eye to rest. So the rocks are the darkest and the lightest. Hmm. In fact, if it was just cut off here, that would be an interesting painting. Hmm. We've got the line of the sailboat and then the line of the mass it takes you to the horizon and hopefully yeah. back again so i'm guiding my viewer on purpose any good artist any good film director any good poet any artist knows you are in charge of directing your viewer a certain way and if you don't you know some people would say who don't want to do the work well the point was not to have a path to show how in our lives as humans today there's no path like okay okay well or else you or you were just really lazy how come those are <laughs> indiscernible from each other? <laughs> I um, Now, how do people know that that's not just, it is subjective, but that's just your subjective values? Because there's a lot of crazy stuff out there that I would not even know as art. Like we went to the Guggenheim one time in New York, and I'll tell you a little quick anecdote. Um, short story long, we... Uh, <laughs> Okay. We were, we were going up. No, just kidding. I, I just love saying that. Um, <laughs> we were going up the circle. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright building, you know, Ooh, Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, supposed to love him, but I, I was, you know, it's a cool building, I guess, but the, the exhibit is like a spiral up and we got to this thing that looked like a construction zone and it looked like a bunch of, like, it looked like it was kind of a pain to bring all that stuff up. It looked like an alley you'd see in an alley. And so I went and I asked for my money back. Cause I, cause when I paid for it, I said, are, am I going to like this? And they said, yeah, you are going to love it. It's I said, is this high quality art? What am I paying for? They said, it's high quality art. It's the best. <laughs> and I said, okay, all right. We have a verbal contract. So you'd better deliver. And I paid with my visa. Well, I got a full refund because I said, that's not art. And I said, my, I want my money back. And, you know, they, they gave me a hard time about it, but they, they gave me my heart. They gave me my money back. Good. Good for you. Good for you demanding it back. But you, you know, you have this uh, kind of a, a clear view of what art is. Can you define it for us? Or I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just interested in if you have a, a you are putting me rough. on the spot because I'm not sure I've ever been asked that yet. You know what's interesting is I have this philosophy side and I have this art side and it's very rare that they get to meet. They've never met in public yet. This is the first time, Luca. So this flop, I'm just going to blame you because it's your idea. <laughs> you <laughs> can. You can totally blame me. Off the top of my head. Do I, can I define art? Well, I want to say it has to be a big enough definition to take in all the types of art. So, you know, a performing artist is called an artist. So you have the music, you have theater, you have, you know, um, kind of like formal, like fine arts. Um, and you have architecture. Sometimes people consider that, you know, an art form. And then there's so many things we can take an art form. I think that 
you have to have at the very least, as we learn in philosophy of religion, a list of family resemblances, things that maybe not every single piece of art has, but a majority of them have. And I think I would start there because art is a human creation. It's not something that's a natural kind. Um, though I think, you know, everything God made, you could say is his art form. It said, that's not very helpful. You know, we're using stuff he already made and reconstructing it. Um, I probably would make a distinction between art and a craft. People use the term broadly, sloppily yeah. to say, oh, did you see that? You know, this hamburger is a work of art, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. I think I would probably try to tighten up the word art in my definition to include um, just those those things I'm talking about, the, yeah. the, the, that list. It's, I think it's oftentimes applied, uh, kind of contrasted with science, but you'll see the College of Arts and Sciences and they're kind of put together and then you'll see arts and crafts. So it's interesting to, I just was curious to see if you've ever thought about it. I know you're a thoughtful person. Are you a feeler on the, on the Myers-Briggs or are you a thinker? I'm a feeler. Are you? Yes. Wow. And you went into, you were a feeler and you went into philosophy. Wow. I was, I was an unusual one there. Yes, you I were. Only female feelers in the whole program. Yeah. <laughs> I cared about fashion. Could have fooled me. Um, no. I mean, I know that you're a feel you've, you, but you mentioned you were writer and speaker. Um, how did that impact your art stuff? And does that come into play at all those skills? Oh yeah, they're very similar. Um, even if you just have an audience of the one shopkeeper, you're trying to your best to explain an idea to them, the idea that your art is something they will make money from if they carry it in their shop. And when you're defending the truth and the beauty of Jesus's message, you're doing something very similar, even though it might be to an audience of you know 5,000. You have to be very careful with your words and practice. You spoke to audiences of 5,000? I have. Wow. I mean, I know that, but it's for the audience, you know, like, yes, they, I have. Yes. I'm going to say that emphatically. I yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool. We didn't talk about your speaking uh, time. How long did you do that? How long 15, were you? As, 15 years. 15 years. What would you say the biggest audience that you had was in the smallest audience? Just to get a sense. Or what was the average size? Um, probably 250 to 500 was average. Um, I did some of the larger um, crew events, I think, and at Biola events in the mm -hmm. thousands. Um, I mean, I want maybe 5,000, maybe. No, there was there were bigger audiences than that because it would be an audience that was, because that was when they started to do more, um, what did they call, virtual events. So they would, I did something for Mops once with Dale and they satellite shared that with mops all over the world. So I know that was a really large audience. I don't know the numbers. I do, do you get scared? Do you get scared going on oh, stage with that many people? Total butterflies in your stomach. No one would know, you know, well, why, why do you do it? If you're, it's so scary. <laughs> Is there anything worth doing that doesn't have a little bit of fear in it? <laughs> so now That's you're kind of, of yeah, you're very, now it's private studio. Your work is, you know, by yourself and then you have to get up the courage to go talk to this manager to see if they like your art and if you can come to an agreement or just as scary. Just as scary. Yeah, I bet. I know you're running out of time. I think actually you might be out of time right now. 
So we want to honor that commitment that you have with uh, the other important things going on around you. Well, and any more, any more questions you feel like are lingering, Lucas? We can go five more minutes. I'll be okay. Um, I guess I would like you to talk a little bit more about your speaking and writing. The writing is also a solitary process. Do you plan on doing more of that? Well, I never stopped writing. You I never stopped. Oh, okay. Still writing. Um, still writing. I do keep a blog at my um, website. So mm -hmm. johnwellfincher.com. Still find that. Um, my writings. I did a series on friendship this year on what makes a good friend and how to be a good friend, how to break up with friends you need to break up with. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> using some of those philosophy skills in the service of relationships, which is a big deal to a feeler. Um, and then every post is illustrated with um, my paintings. Um, so I am still writing. And yes, that is very solitary. And painting is also very solitary. I really relish it. I didn't realize how much I love being alone. Wow. Now, are you an extrovert or introvert? I'm an extrovert. So, and you spend a lot of your work working alone. Yes. What's that like? Do you, does it get to the point where you're like, okay, I want to go to that shop because I want to talk to somebody else? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. I don't have a lot of energy at the end of my day because I've been alone <laughs> so long. Mm. Um, wow. It, it is. You don't get energy from being alone. I don't. Okay. I get trained. I'll be more energized from talking to you than I will been paint, oh. painting by myself. Cool. Yeah. So thank you for filling out my fuel tank. Well, I'm really happy to hear that. I'm an introvert, so you'll be exhausted actually, after this. <laughs> I always am. I always am, but but it's worse with some people than others. Actually, introverts can get their tank filled by their friends. And one-on-ones a lot better, so right? I probably won't be as exhausted after this because you're one. You know, John Alan, I just had a, a thought to my uh, this is an interesting thought. I think I'll share it with you and I guess everybody, but <laughs> it is weird to me. It's, it's interesting. It's not weird in a bad way, but it's, it's every once in a while you look around and you wonder who your friends are. Cause you mentioned friendship and it just occurred to me that, uh, I never expected to be friends with you. And it occurred to me while you were talking that you are one of a very few set of people in my life that I've known for so long. And you've been to both of my parents' funerals. And I didn't meet you in Colorado. I met you in California. So we have an interesting and long-standing connection that's pretty deep and profound, I would say. And I, I just realized that I'm really honored to know you. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you. I feel the same about you and your wife. It's just been such a trip, man. All yeah. of the things you've done. We've, we've failed in such spectacularly good ways. Yeah. I'm so grateful for friends who know us in those low times as well as the climb out. Yeah. And I'm, I, 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 just put it together that that's that's really why I'm so uh, impressed with what with what you've done with art because I feel like I've seen 
not the whole story exactly, but I've seen a really long period of years and I'm so inspired by what I've seen because I know that it's come with great sacrifice and, and time management and dedication on everybody's part over there. And, uh, that you're committed to, I know, I just know you're committed to excellence. And so this, these products that you come out with are, um, special, I think, because not just to me, but I, I think that they have the specialness is there on the page. It's, it's a product of, it's, it's not like you just were good at it you know, coming out of the womb and, you know, oh yeah, she was going to be, of course. No, it, it was like something you really went after. And that's, I think what makes it even better. So what would you say as like finish out here? What would you say to somebody out there, male, female, whoever that's listening to this and wants to become an artist but has no confidence, no idea where to start, what would you say to them? Is there any hope? Is there any good news? No, there is a lot of hope. Um, I say some of the, some of the most frustrated artists, and they talk about this in the artist way, the book I gave you, some of the most frustrated artists get right up next to creating art and they spend their whole life skirting the edge of it. They become book agents or they become gallery owners or they become assistants to an artist and they never listen to the voice God put in them to create something with their voice and their flavor and their touch. And I'd say you cannot become an artist without someone in your stand, front row, giving you standing ovations every time you create a, I almost cussed, a really crappy piece. You have to have someone there in your stand. If you know you can have someone there cheering you on, it doesn't have to be your spouse. Mine, I'm very blessed it's my spouse. If you can have one person cheering you on, every time you feel like I can't do this, you go talk to them. Have them go with you to buy the cheapest set, if money's an issue, the cheapest set of watercolor paper or, or acrylic paints or whatever. You can go get the stuff at Walmart for the price of a hamburger. It's so cheap these days. And then tell yourself, I am going to create, I'm using painting as the analogy, but it could be poetry, it could be architecture. I'm gonna do 20 horrible little drawings. I'm gonna do 20 horrible little paintings and give yourself that freedom to really create ugly things. The ma- wow. the, the, the you just gave us the title. Right? You just gave us the title. <laughs> Give yourself the freedom to create ugly things. <laughs> Takes all the pressure off, right? That's right. Because then right. it might not be ugly, actually. It starts to get how not ugly. God, how do you think God created women? You know, he first created a man. He's like, dang, that is so <laughs> ugly. <laughs> Wow. That's good. That's actually really good. 
I would never say that in public, but this is public. But this is people looking in on our friendship. And so they get the honor of knowing this is what friendship is like. You can say things that the rest of the world would misunderstand and misquote. I don't care if they do. I'm not big enough that I need to even worry about it. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. The luxury of not being popular. Oh, it's good. Jonalyn, uh, in case people don't see this, that I, I have laughed. Some of the hardest times I've ever laughed are with you and Dale. And that's, that's a gift. Yeah, it is. That's a gift. <laughs> it's, so true. it's so true. I want to say if any of your listeners are interested in kind of watching the evolution from ugly paintings to more beautiful, they can go to my Instagram account, which is at Jonalyn underscore Fincher. And they can just scroll back down, go back to the very beginning of my feed and they can see some more and more. And maybe that'll, I know it's given other artists encouragement. Yeah. Okay. I'll link, uh, I'll link your Instagram on this. And uh, we thank you so much for coming on today, John Allen. My pleasure. Thanks, Lucas.